You are listening to Danvers Audio, a podcast by the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Thanks for listening. My name is Grace Anna Castleberry, and I'm hosting Danvers Audio today. And I have a special guest with me in the studio, my mom, Audrey Brogy. She is in town to teach a women's retreat for Kenwood Baptist Church. So I had to take this opportunity to get her on the show. So, Mom, welcome to the program. I am absolutely so glad to be here. Mom, you're a Carolina girl, a graduate of University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, a pastor's wife. In fact, you've been one for over 25 years. You're a mom of five children and a grandmother to 12 grandchildren. Now... I know the answer to this, obviously, but who do you pull for these days with having five kids who some of us went to different places? Well, you know... Um, you better give the right uh, answer <laughs> since you're in the room with me. I always, well, I always pull for the Tar Heels, no matter who they're playing, because that's where I went to school. But now, since, you know, I have two sons, for those who are listening might not know this, two sons that went to the University of South Carolina. You, of course, went to Clemson University. Jeremy went to Liberty University. And then... Um, uh, Grant went to the Citadel. So we have, and then of course, Carl went to Boston College. So we have all kinds of schools represented and then graduate school as well with Harvard with two of the, two of the boys. So I pull for all of those schools at different times. I guess that's the best <laughs> way to answer it. But, um, but I will say this, I, you know, gr- living in the triangle area of North Carolina, I think too, it's a huge sports place to be. So therefore I just had a love for it. My dad, loved it too. So I I know he had a big influence on me in that. And I'm, of course, not too much of a fan of pro ball unless it's to follow somebody like Tim Tebow or Connor Shaw or Dylan Thompson or somebody that I've gotten to watch a lot on the college level. And then I kind of want to see what their careers um, are doing. So, Well, you've taught women in your church for years, and now you're traveling just like this, this weekend to speak at women's events across the country. But your heart has always been about the home and the family and the principles found in Titus 2. Tell us, how did you catch this Titus 2 vision, and what encouragement would you give women today who are looking to have a ministry? Well, you know, when God first blessed me with a husband and children, I wanted to do it right, meaning that I really wanted to do it God's way. And I remember in our early years of marriage when we only had one baby, our church did a video series taught by John MacArthur. I'd never heard of John MacArthur at that time. I didn't know anything about him, but I was captivated by his teaching, didn't even know who he was. Um, And he was teaching on the home and family. But the sad thing is his teaching, that video series, made a lot of women angry in our church. And we were in a conservative church. But it made a lot of women angry when he taught on the home and a woman's role in the home. And I still remember the pastor ending the series early and standing up and apologizing to the women. And I never got to hear the rest of the series. But I remember being so stirred about this particular book of the Bible, Titus, which I had never heard taught before nor had I ever read it that I recall, unless it was maybe, you know, someone referring to a verse that might be in the Bible, because, you know, in that epistle is when the, you know, when the grace of God appears, bringing salvation to all men. So you might have, I might have heard that verse, but I'd never read the book of Titus. But that one message that I did hear made me very thirsty. 
And after that, I remember thinking that there seemed to be a a vacuum in the church of women, women who claim Christ, but it seemed that there was a vacuum of them actually living out God's way, the way I'd heard it taught that one night. Um, And it did seem that there were a lot of women rising up in the church to be like men, teaching like men, even perhaps competing in some way with men. I saw that even um, when we were in a parachurch ministry. And although there was maybe a lot of lip service giving given to the home and the ministry in the home, it still seemed in practice that for a lot of people, it seemed lesser. It just seemed that way Mm -hmm. to me. Maybe I'm young, maybe I misunderstood it, but that's the way it seemed to me. Um, But it seemed too that there were a lot of women who were rising up in the ranks to be trained leaders in women's ministry, whether it was in parachurch ministries or whether it was ministry in the church. And I know that my husband and I, I mean, I felt called to ministry alongside my husband. And that's one of the reasons why I went on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, because I wanted to be used of God in a you know, I wanted to give the best hours of my day to that. But I know once I had a family, there seemed, I, I was seeing it a little bit differently, especially after hearing that particular message. So I saw women being trained to be uh, leaders in women's ministry, but not trained biblically how to be a husband lover, how to be a children lover, and all the other things that God's clearly said that he wants women to teach. And that's That's the truth of it. He clearly says it in Titus, what he wants women to live out, what he wants them to be, what he wants them to do, and what he wants them to teach. It's it's compelling. It's all-encompassing what he says there, and and even what he wants them to learn. And so for me, I wanted to understand theology. I wanted to know the Bible, but the reason I wanted to know it is like increased my thirst to know it so that I would know how to practically live out that theology in my home. When the baby's teething, when the children are fighting, when I'm exhausted and sleep deprived and Mm -hmm. maybe mad at my husband, and no one at that time seemed to be addressing these things in a concerted effort, except what I saw happening, and and maybe there was a rise to this, it was more like just get women away from it all um, to maybe a women's Bible study, which I'm not opposed to that, but... I feel like those things ought to be addressing these very issues. Get away to go back. Get away to go back. Mm-hmm. Not get away just to get away. Mm-hmm. And um, so in my experience at that time, it seemed to be that Bible study was either filled with what was called Bible studies, were either filled, women's Bible studies were either filled with complaints and opinions or a time to delve into the scripture for education's sake. And, and uh, I don't know, that just put a burden on my heart that I didn't want to come to a place to learn the Bible just to get away, but then not be able to take away from it how to, how to live that out in my home. Because I did know that the first place where I should be having ministry was in my home, because that's where the rubber meets the road a lot with my husband. If it doesn't work in the home, it doesn't work. And so I wanted to learn how to do that with my husband and my children. And so that's where it kind of birthed for me. Um, so that was the beginning, sowing the seeds. And that is what, when I think about my childhood, growing up with you and dad in a ministry home, I know there were so many things you could have been doing as, as a pastor's wife outside of our church and outside of our home. I remember several times, you know, you being asked to speak at different things and some things that you did do and you did teach and I 
have memories of going with some of the to some of those events with you, but a lot of things that you turned down. Tell us a little bit about that in terms of how did you make those decisions about what to do outside the home, and how has that influenced your ministry now? Well, you know, the Bible tells us clearly that we are to employ our gifts in the body of Christ. God loves his church. He established the local church, and that's his way of growing people. That's his way, his primary way of ministry. And the women's ministry within a church should be a helping arm. It should be committed to the overall vision of the church. And so as I was weighing through those things, even as a young woman, when we first came to Community Bible Church, where your dad's been the pastor for the last 25 years, there were tons of things I could have been involved in. In fact, when we first went there, there were about 180 people there, and um, the women wanted me to teach a Bible study. And I did teach a Bible study. I taught it in the evenings, but I remember being torn. And God used, it was great, but God used that to further clarify that my ministry at that particular time in my life was not teaching these groups of women in my church my ministry was primarily in my home, and I needed to teach y'all the Bible, and I needed to employ, as the, as the scripture says, to employ our gifts in the body, that I need to take the spiritual gifts that God had given me, use them in my home, and use them in the church where it fit in my season of life. That's the way I began to understand it, practically live it out. So I taught children's Sunday school classes. In fact, I tell the women in our church all the time that the way I learned the Bible the biggest way I learned the Bible and theology was teaching it to mm-hmm. children because I took that seriously. I really took teaching the life of Moses seriously when I taught it to first graders. I didn't think, oh, yeah, it's just a bunch of kids and well, I can just say whatever. I swear I learned so much of the Bible was teaching it to children. So I used my spiritual gifts there. That's where y'all were. And if, if one of y'all was having a trouble in a Sunday school class and I, was the te- I became the teacher, I worked in that class. And as far as outside ministries, I do remember when I went to get trained at a training, a famous Bible study training thing. And um, and again, I'm not saying that it's a bad, I mean, I'm not saying anything, trying to say anything negative about these things, because I think the intentions are, you know, they have good intentions. But I do remember as a young mom being, when I was leaving to go to that, and and one of my children was, it was it was just terrible the way, and he was old enough to, for this to mean something to him. And I remember God using that in my life to to further give me clarity of what I needed to be doing, especially because I went to this where we were being trained to teach the Bible to women. But not once did anybody in that training talk about seasons of life. Is this the right time in your life? You know, you're a young woman with young children. I mean, Mm -hmm. I had four little children. The oldest was eight when I went to this. And, um... I was never challenged biblically from Titus chapter 2 and what God clearly says. It was just leadership, 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 be in leadership, leadership, and go to all these planning meetings and all this. And that became conflicted in my mind. So that further put me on the path as what does God's word really say? What is it that I'm supposed Mm -hmm. to be doing? Do we somehow have things messed up in terms of what we're calling women's ministry? Mm Now, at Community Bible Church, where Dad is pastor, you created a women's Bible study called Woman's Life, Mm -hmm. which meets the second and fourth Wednesdays of each month. You also host a radio program, Mothering from the Heart, which we do together. So tell us about those ministries and how those got started and how you desire women to grow through them. Well, I I shared, you know, my first exposure to Titus. And then as I studied the book for myself and then 
listened to great men of God teach that particular book, God further deepened my convictions um, in terms of um, thinking through what women's ministry should look like. And so I don't know, I kind of envisioned women's ministry as a helping ministry in the church. Like I said a little, uh, a few minutes ago, like a wife is a helper in the home. Women should be help a helper in the church. And a wife, according to scripture, doesn't go out and do her own thing apart from her husband and children. She doesn't take morph into, you know, this is something I do separate from what we do in the home. No, she works alongside her husband and together they take care of the family. Together they have a, a vision for their family and they work together to accomplish that. And so since the book of Titus was written to describe what a healthy church should look like and what all how all the groups in the church should function, because in Titus chapter 2, he gives specific instruction to every group in the church, um, then I felt like that we should take it very seriously as it um, concerns the commands that are given very specifically for women. So God says in that book who the leader should be in terms of the women. I mean, he says it for the whole church as well, but he specifically says it's supposed to be the godly older women of the church. And then he gives like what they're to be like, what their character should be like. So they should be giving leadership to it. Then he uh, says what, um, what they are to do. They're to teach and train um, and encourage the next generation of younger women. And then he goes even further. He doesn't just leave it up for grabs, what you're to cover. He actually gives a curriculum that women um, should be covering with younger women. And of course, you know, we know in the church it can be in organized, in an organized way, but it's also a way of life way as well. But it's, but obviously he wants the women to know one another and to connect with one another because he gives the ministry of the younger women to the older women. So, you know, sometimes women ask me, well, what does that mean? You just teach Titus chapter two all the time. <laughs> well, and sometimes when they ask the question, they don't understand. They don't understand the 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 whole of it because it's teaching um, the principles of Titus chapter two. You can teach the principles of Titus chapter two as you teach a book of the Bible. I would teach a book of the Bible differently than my husband would teach it. Now, I would still get it accurate. You know, I want to be accurate. I want to understand the context. I want to understand it, the, the historical um, significance. I want to teach it in that sense in terms of just the way you would give a history lesson. But then I also want to take the great truths of Scripture, the great theology, and help women see how this, mm -hmm. this comes down and meets you right where you live mm -hmm. in the middle of your life so that we're just not accepting opinions. So yes, I might teach Titus chapter two and teach a whole series on what it means to love your husband. I could do that through a, a woman's life in the Bible. You know, I could take a biographical sketch and teach, show how she loved her husband, or I could do it topically. I could go through the Bible and find um, passages or maybe where Jesus addressed it, or I could teach first Corinthians 13 and apply it in our marriages. There's, there's just a plethora of ways to teach how to love your husband. It just doesn't mean, okay, today we're teaching Titus Titus chapter two and verse three to verses three to five, love your husbands. And then, and then you go on. No, there's a million different ways to teach that. I could teach what it means to forgive, you know, you're mad at your husband, you know, or whatever. And the same thing is true for children. Th same thing is true for being sensible, being pure, being a worker at home. And then too, I've taught books of the Bible. I talked taught the Song of Solomon, but I still taught it through that lens because when you're dealing with the Song of Solomon, again, that falls under, I told our women sometimes, it's like, it's like Titus chapter two, that laundry list 
is almost like you can think of it like a, a file cabinet. And you've got these files, and one's labeled to love your husband, one's labeled to love your children. And then in each of those files, there's a hundred things from Scripture mm-hmm. that you can teach. Um, so it's, but I think somehow in, in many ways we've lost that. So, I, so again, to summarize that, I might teach the direct curriculum as it's laid out right there, or I may teach a book of the Bible or a topic, but I'll always teach through the Titus 2 mm-hmm. lens. We can't be flipping about that because God, that's just where it's so succinct. Now, it's all over the Bible, but that's where it's just like, whoa, summary. Here's what I want the women to do. Mm-hmm. Now, right now, we're sitting on the campus of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary where men and women are training for ministry and many men are training to be pastors. What have been some of the highs and lows of you and dad being in ministry, specifically, I'm thinking as a pastor's wife, and you were a seminary wife as well, Um, and how would you encourage a seminary wife or a pastor's wife today? Well... Um, you know, one of the highs, when you'd ask the question about the highs in ministry, I think to never forget um, that the best thing, the best thing you can ever do with your life is to share the gospel with someone. Mm. You know, that's just the best thing. And and for, for God to call people into ministry and set them aside where they give the best hours of their day to share the gospel and that a wife is a helper to her husband as he gets to share the gospel and then grow people in their faith. That's a ministry that you share together. And then again, with a wife and God, if God blesses them with children and and he does for most, the best thing, the best hours of her day are to be able to lead those little ones to Christ, to be able to talk to them about the Lord, to see their little hearts open, to see their character form. So you do it in the microcosm of the home and then you get to do it in the microcosm of the church. And so that, that's just a great thing and to never lose the wonder of the cross and never lose the fact that when people come into the kingdom, God has used you as a part to open their eyes, to to give them the word of God and for them to respond. There's there's it just not there's nothing better than that, whether is there's just nothing better. And we get just get to spend the we get to earn our living from that. And that's why too, over the years, whether I've spoken to women who are missionaries or or um um parachurch wives or or ministry um uh pastor's wives is don't ever complain about the work of it don't complain about oh, it's so hard being a pastor's wife it's so hard being a ministry's wife minister's wife or whatever or being in ministry it is a great privilege to be in ministry mm-hmm. and all work is hard you know everybody if someone's a doctor that's hard work if they're a lawyer that's hard work if they're a farmer it's all hard work in fact you know and god recognizes that and so you know, we we have to remember that too, and we and sometimes I think, Grace Anna, you know, we spend too much time in general, you know, thinking about the the pressures of thing rather than just doing what God's called us to do. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the highs of it. Now, um, and of course, as a wife and a mom, you know, knowing how much God has trusted me with that He trusted me with brand new little babies who are lost that He trusted me to. To, to be their mother, that I that he trusted me, he trusts me to share the gospel with them. He trusts me to work alongside my husband for us to lead them to Christ and to train them. That he's trusted me with that, and that he wants me to spend the best part of my days building into their lives. I mean, that's just that's just uh, that's just a great privilege. 
But uh, Lowe's, you know, the, obviously in ministry there is a lot of unjust criticism. That's one thing. Criticism is part of the territory. A lot of criticism is good for us. We need to hear it. And even if it's unjust, sometimes it's like, well, is there a kernel in there that I need to take away? Is something God wants me to learn through it because he's allowed this criticism, whether it's unjust or not, to come into my life. So, you know, but but yeah, this discouraging. Anytime you're criticized, even if it's totally everything you need to hear, it's hard to hear. <laughs> but being in the being in the spotlight, you are, you know, and being in ministry, yeah, that that's it is true. You'll be unjustly criticized, but that's just part of it. Being misunderstood. You know, when you have their best interests, I just heard John MacArthur this morning, he's talking about, you know, the, the fact that, you know, being discerning and that pastors who proclaim the truth, they're labeled as unloving. And so that's just part of it. And of course, one of the other lows is people leaving your church for dumb reasons. <laughs> <laughs> what? Why are you leaving? <laughs> so anyway. Well, um, mom, when a lot of people think about complementarianism, that men and women are created equal yet different with distinct roles when they think about submission or respect they immediately get this vision of just a woman who has no personality she's a doormat she's living just a bane existence um and I think one of the biggest things I saw modeled growing up in your marriage with dad was your respect of him and your calling to be his helper but that you were never a doormat you had a very independent spirit and ultimately your relationship was with God and you were following him. How would you describe this dynamic in your marriage of not being a doormat, but having a very independent spirit? Well, you know, I, you know, as I've, as you've heard me say over the years, just growing up in our home that, um, I believe strong men need strong women. Mm -hmm. Um, and a great model of that is Abraham and Sarah. I mean, great model of that, because even in that passage in first Peter chapter three, when, when Peter's given direction to women who are living with men who are, who are disobedient to the word, and he's talking to them about submission and he's telling them they need, still need to be submissive because their husbands will observe their chase and respectful behavior and all that. And the interesting thing is, is in that passage, he holds up Sarah by name as an example. Now he says, and holy women of old, so we can study other holy women of old, but he specifically holds her up as an example. Well, if you know Sarah, okay, so, so women sometimes think, and, and mistakenly so, think that submission means being a doormat. That's just, that's just wrong. That just shows they don't know the word. They don't mm -hmm. know scripture when they think that because submissive is, is more of an attitude. It's a more of a, it's just an attitude. It's a predisposition to deflect and not to be like, I'm just going to take over here. But if you go back and you study Sarah and you see what her life was like, you see the reason God holds her up as an example is because he says she was not frightened by any fear. And you see that Abraham, even in his leadership, put her in some very fearful situations. But you see her as a strong woman trusting in God, putting her hope in him rather than in the man um, that she's married to. And so therefore you see submissiveness to a husband. It's like, because my hope is in the Lord and I trust him, then I can trust authority in my life. I can trust the man that God has over me, even if he makes some wrong decisions because I'm trusting God beyond the man. And so therefore there's a great confidence in that of, um, and again, too, when you understand it, because, you know, you marry a man who appreciates your strengths because 
that's why women, you want to marry a godly man. It's not about how cute he is. It's about what his heart's like. Now, you want him to be cute, too. But <laughs> but, but at the same time, he recognizes, I mean, Carl, your dad wouldn't like it if I was some, like, little mousy doormat. He values my opinion. He wants my stubborn streak. Sometimes he doesn't. <laughs> But anyway, I hope that makes sense. Oh, no, that does. Now, there are two phrases that I think about uh, when I think a lot about some of your teaching that you've done at your church. The first one is obey what you know. And the second phrase that I always think about oftentimes when I'm doing things around my house is just do the next thing. So would you expound a little bit on those two phrases and where they came from? Well, obey what you know. Um, I think that... Uh, kind of grew out of my one of my favorite verses in the Bible, which is John fourteen twenty one, which is whoever has my commands and obeys them. I'm going to sing it because I know the song. I know the song too. (laughs) Refrain. Refrain. Yes. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I too will love him and show myself to him. I love that. And and all through that whole passage in, in John's gospel, when Jesus is talking to his disciples and it's before he's going to the cross and he's trying to prepare them about what is to come, but he speaks in those in those three chapters, often about obey, just obedience. If you have God's commands, you obey them. Just obey what you know. And I, I guess in my, just my own thinking too, it's like um, I don't. I, I just remember sometimes one time many years ago saying, so I don't know everything, but I know some things. Mm. And so just, God, I want to obey what I know. It just kind of grew out of that. And and then those chapters in John where it's like the Lord just hammered it home to me. And of course, I'm sure hearing people um, just preach obedience because in our day, as we all know, people want to come to Jesus and they want him to fix everything and they want to feel good all the time, but they don't ever want to be called to obedience. And, um, mm-hmm. but God wants us to be called. So I think that's, you know, and I've, to, and I guess to counseling women over the years, because when they'll say, well, I want to know God's will. I want to know this. What's God want me to do? I said, I, I don't know, but you know, mm-hmm. some things are you obeying him in this obey what you know. Um, then now do the next thing. I've, I, I think that came from Elizabeth Elliot. I, but it's funny though, because though I didn't realize that for such a long time, you know how sometimes things just become such a part of you. It's kind of like if you grow up in a Christian home, you know, you've always heard the gospel. Mm-hmm. You don't know when it solidified and made sense to you, but it did at some point. I remember, I remember like as a child growing up at Christian home, I remember when I was really seriously convicted of my sin, that it wasn't just in a general way, sinners out there, but uh, that I was a sinner, but I couldn't pinpoint it. You know, I just know I understood that I couldn't get into heaven on my own, that, that I was a sinner and I needed forgiveness. And, um, and I remember a long time ago reading something about do the next thing. And then someone, I think I, I don't know, someone sent me a thing. I think, I think it originated with Elizabeth Elliot, but I'm not even sure. I did read that in one of her books later, but I was like, that, that mom said that. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. I, you know, and that's the thing because it was just like, at some point it's like, I just need to do that. I I don't know anything else. It's, It's sometimes too Grace Anna when I think about all of the 
turmoil in the world and what's going on and, you know, that I wish I could help this and this and this. Mm -hmm. And I'm always reminded I can't do that, but I can do this. I can obey God in the little things. Mm -hmm. I can do the next thing that I know God wants me to do. Or even the thing, as I've told women over the years, like, I'm so overwhelmed. You know, I've got, I need to clean out these closets and I need to organize this. And it's like, just do the next thing. Just do one thing. Organize one drawer. So it's one of those things that just became again part of some things that just it's kind of like who you are I just know one time like I don't remember my mom ever I got I caught this from her it's like sometimes you have to keep going even when you don't feel Mm -hmm. like it I know she said that you know I remember her kind of saying a variation of that but that's just been I don't know it just became part of who I am it's like okay I don't feel like it but I need to do this well I remember another phrase too that we were talking about not too long ago but you said I think you heard it from your mom but you're about as happy as you want to be, or you as make. You ma- you're about as happy as what is the as you make up your mind to as be. You Most people are just about as happy as they make up their minds to be. Because yeah. sometimes I do think that as Christians, we can just like wait for that. Fe- try to wait for that feeling, mm-hmm. you know, because we do have that relationship with the Lord where obedience brings joy. But sometimes we just have to do the next thing, obey, and just choose to be happy in doing whatever. That, that next right. thing is. That's right. That's right. So you teach a lot on marriage and children. Um, do you have any encouragement for a single woman listening who longs to be married? Well, you know, I heard a preacher say once, and I don't know which preacher, um, that it's better to want something you don't have than to have something you don't want. And though it's kind of a funny statement in in, in one sense, kind of a joke, I mean, when I heard it, I still remember I was going through the drive through at the bank when I heard it. But um, but there's some truth to it. And then I know Alistair Begg in his sermon on relationships, he says, uh, you either cry now or you cry later when he's talking mm-hmm. about relationships that need to end and you wanted, you know, to get married. And again, those are just really good words. But the key in the way I would encourage and have encouraged single women, the key is contentment. Because here's the thing, marriage doesn't make a discontent a discontent woman content. It just doesn't. Marriage doesn't fix you. Marriage doesn't fix a relationship with God. In fact, if a woman is unhappy and she's in discontent as a single woman, and that's just a normal part of her character and what she's like, getting married is just going to make it worse. It's not going to make it better because she'll just have more to be unhappy about. She might be happy a little bit for the wedding and the honeymoon and everything's new, but if she doesn't isn't fixed on the inside in terms of, you know, none of us are ever fixed permanently in terms of we're all sinners. But I mean getting a handle on that. Um, she'll just have more to be unhappy about because unhappy people and people who are discontent, even if they get what they think they want, it doesn't make them happy. Hmm. You know, they just think, well, if I just had this or if I just had that. It, it doesn't because then if that's a part of their character, then that's not good enough either. And they still want more. So the, the issue comes to just guard your heart, you know, guard it and let God fix um, your heart. Now, even as I say that, though, it's a God-given desire to want to get married. I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with that. So we don't need to act like, oh, it's wrong for me to think on that. But it is wrong to make that an idol. It is wrong to make that something like I can't be happy and content unless I'm married. 
you know, because again, I can't say it enough. If, if that's your thoughts, then you're going to get married and you're going to still be unhappy and discontent. You just give it enough time. And, and of course, we can see that that's true because of all the divorces and everything that we see. That's why a person's heart has to belong to the Lord. You know, that's what keeps people together. And that's what keeps your marriage fresh is when you keep your relationship fresh with the Lord. So if a woman is listening who wants to get a hold of some of your teachings or listen to your radio program, Mothering from the Heart, what are some of the ways that she can do that? Well, I have a website, and it's just my name, com, and you can find a lot of things there. I don't, it's not as updated as I would like it to be. Um, I guess that's because I'm too busy living life than running the website, but everything is, there's current things on there and visit it often. And I write blog posts. That's on, those are on there. There's information about the women's ministry, woman's life that I lead at our church. Um, and you can listen to programs there. Usually, you know, we try to get those uploaded and all that. You can also go to social media. You can follow me on social media. You can go to mothering from the heart Facebook page because we do have a Facebook page. You can like that. You can also friend me on Facebook because I don't turn anybody down um, because I basically use my, whether it's my personal page or the Mothering from the Heart page as a ministry page. And I always update when I'm teaching at Woman's Life what I'm teaching um, or when I'm doing special, you know, Mothering from the Heart Bible study. When I'm teaching that, I'm going to be teaching that again in our church in the fall. Um or other things that I do, I have an Instagram account. It's just Audrey Brogy. I have a Twitter account. Um, and of course, in there, search the scriptures, my husband's radio ministry. And that's just search the scriptures.org, which you can go to. And um, and then, of course, our church, you can always link to everything Audrey at our church. And that's communitybiblechurch.us. And there's also a search the scriptures app as well. Yes. And on that, there is a I think two different places where they can listen to anyone can listen to your messages at woman's life and then, and then also the mothering from the heart programs. That's correct. Yes. And speaking of that, because you mentioned to mentioned it earlier, um, we do a, a radio program that deals with questions that women send in. Um, right now those programs are pre-recorded, um, but then probably in January, we'll start doing it live again where people can call in and, and um, the program will be aired live. But then again, those are always uploaded later as well where women can listen to those. But that's, you can go to wagp.net and find out um, the time for that. And, and if women have questions as well, they can send those to you directly to you on your website, com, or through directly to you to you through the Facebook page, Mothering from the Heart. That's correct. That's correct. Well, Mom, thanks so much for being on Danvers Audio today and, and joining us in the studio. It was truly a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Danvers Audio. We would like to tell you about two exciting upcoming opportunities at CBMW. In March, CBMW is hosting a ski conference for young Christian leaders at Snowbird, Utah. Speakers will include Todd Wagner and Matt Carter. Also, in April, CBMW is hosting a T4G pre-conference, The Beauty of Complementarity. The event will feature 27 speakers in two days, including John Piper, Jackie Hill Perry, Mary Cassian, Alistair Begg, and Darren Patrick. Please visit cbmw.org for more details. Again, thanks for listening.